0: Hello everybody, welcome to Hodgepod. I'm Rob Ferdinand and we're back for another episode. We're going to be talking the monkeys. It was so popular, we did it back in November. Linda Groundwater has been gracious enough to join me. It's 10 o'clock at night in Australia, it's 6 a.m. here in Memphis, but I'm going to do whatever I can to get her on the podcast and Linda, welcome back to Hodgepod.
1: Thanks, Rob. You know, I love having a chance to talk to you anytime.
0: Yes, thank you so much. That last podcast really was a uh, a huge hit. So we're going to be talking the Monkees touring in the 60s, but we're going to be talking in between and then also the massive tour in 1986. So, Linda, last time we spoke, the Monkees, you know, they had that meteoric rise in the 60s, and they kind of went on touring in between but in 1986 it took a whole new uh i guess you could say stratosphere for the monkeys how would you explain oh, that
1: it oh it was huge it was huge huge uh i mean the thing is in the 60s the monkeys were really really big and i thought about something we mentioned the last time um that we spoke and that was that one of their albums only hit number 1 for a week and then dipped down to number 2 and the only reason for that was that the Beatles' Sergeant Pepper came out. And so Sergeant Pepper, of course, knocked everything off the, char- off the top. Mm-hmm. Um, but monkeys stayed at number two underneath them for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And what that showed was that really, ex- with the exception of the Beatles, there was no one else that was as popular as the monkeys. Certainly not in the United States and, and, you know, in other places around the world. But what that meant was there was this huge bank of fans who just adored them and who went kind of into hibernation for a while because they (laughs) did have that, um, you know, well, you know, we we did have that, that, um, gee, you know, the monkeys don't play their own instruments. They aren't talented. They don't, you know, they aren't real musicians. And all this rubbish, which has all been proven not to be true since then, um, but we all kind of went into hiding. And in the 80s, when the 60s was very big again, and there was the summer of love, and you know all these things from the 60s were being recreated and renewed and whatnot, um, the monkeys were approached uh, for their 20th anniversary in 1966, and they said, look, why don't you come and do some shows? And... Mickey and Peter and Davey all said, well, yeah, we could do some, I suppose. And, but they wanted to do about four four weeks or five weeks or something like that. And Mike Nesmith was the holdout who said, look, I can't do that. Mike was running Pacific Arts and he had, he was a movie producer and a, you know, he was working in film and he, he just didn't have the time, he couldn't pull away from business to do Mm -hmm. that. And so he got labeled as, you know, the the grumpy monkey who didn't want to come out and do these things and wasn't (laughs) he ashamed. Um, And the truth was, he just he just couldn't do it. So the others went out. But I don't think that they were prepared. And Mickey himself has said this. They were not prepared for the reaction that they got when they came back. And what happened was that people remembered what they loved and they remembered that simple part of their life, that's those simple, simple joys, the good music, um, the the fun characters. I went to my first Monkees concert in July of 1986, and I remember as a child saying, oh, I'm never going to get to see them, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they've already broken up, they're never coming back, and then all of a sudden there they were, and I went to see them at the Club Casino up in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, and I remember distinctly... Just as if it was yesterday that you've heard that first opening drum roll. Ready for it. Here they come. You know, and I got goosebumps. And it was just that memory of simple joy and simple happiness. And the tour just exploded and. Instead of being on the road for four or five weeks, it was four, five, six, seven months. And they just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And they learned, I think, then more than at any other time, that the fans hadn't forgotten, that they hadn't been, you know, dismissed, that they were truly loved. Uh, and so it, and then at the same time, MTV then came out and ran a little marathon of most of the episodes. And so that introduced a whole new generation to them as well. So between the existing fans, the original fans, uh, what they call the first and second generation fans, along came that third generation. And they have just continued ever since and pretty much nonstop since then.
0: Yeah, you spoke of the 86 tour. So in 1986, when they had the tour, they had, you said that it started off with a few dates, 144 dates they had yep. for that 86 tour. And so you, speaking of the uh, Hampton, uh, the, cas- the casino up in, uh, what did they call it? I forget the club casino. Hampton Beach. Hampton yeah. Beach. It was July 29th and July 30th in 1986. Yep. They were all yep. over the place. They were playing at... Uh, some of the places they played El Paso, Texas, the Fort Bliss Army base. They played at Arlington Stadium in uh in Arlington, Texas. That's where the Texas Rangers played. They played. So they were playing anywhere and everywhere in 86, and I find that to be really uh cool and uh, they really ate that up um, in the 80s, especially with uh you said the MTV generation and uh, i think mm-hmm. also would help with the monkeys um you know the beatles had some uh when they had songs they had videos but i think the beetle, uh the, the monkeys were definitely um the starters of the music video where people could relate when they saw a song they saw you know the band doing funny things and having a good time so i think that's what yeah. also helped them as well and that correlated to uh when they went on mtv and they had the mtv uh marathon and uh we're going to hear a little clip right now uh from cnn in 1986 when they came back on the tour it's about a minute or so but I'll, you're going to get the sense of what linda said about um the monkeys and this is how it goes and it's pretty funny Peter thanks for joining us today on the program. What's going on out here? You guys are on MTV, you're going on tour. What's what's all the recent interest in the monkeys?
1: Well, you have just said it—the
0: uh, tour been and MTV—and
1: MTV and all the recent interest in the monkeys. It's—I uh, think uh, probably you know most things in this business are kind of cyclic. They tend to come around in circles. I know circles. I am. Yeah, he's, he cycles to work every day. We—the um, music also, I think, was very was very um, was very good and long lasting. It stands up uh, the test of time. Songs are written by Carole King, Neil Diamond, Harry Nilsson, Paul Williams. Bear Sayers, so they stand up and the show i think also stands up because it the humor wasn't topical and it wasn't um uh, satirical so it stands I, up like the marx brothers
0: well i guess you guys could be considered what the first music video too i mean that's not far off track is it
1: no i think that uh, that's that's a fair uh,
0: evaluation isn't it so that's pretty interesting about that that was in 1986 on cnn there was a show called take two Mm-hmm. Perfect name. And that was
1: that was Mickey talking about that and um, and those who follow these types of things may know that Mike Nesmith was heavily involved in music video um, and will be is is considered one of the founding fathers of the concept of a music television network e.g. An MTV He didn't create MTV. So you're going to hear people saying, oh, he created MTV. He did not. (laughs) But his idea was we need a music television network. And Mike created lots of snippets of of videos, uh, you know, music videos and things so that there would be that idea of vision with music, always vision with music. And Mike went on, of course, to do things like elephant elephant parts and television parts. And if if people don't know, know about them, you must look them up um Dr. Duck's super secret all purpose saw Mike had a very unusual sense of humor uh, but he was very very creative and so visuals were really important to him and it was generally important to the idea of the monkeys and yes they were four good looking guys and four very different guys but it was like Mickey was saying in that clip, Marx Brothers let's entertain people and at the same time be playing the most extraordinary music and they did. They played music from. They they went on their first concert tour in December of 1966, and continued to tour as one combination or another mm-hmm. until three weeks before Mike died in December of last year.
0: Wow! And uh, when uh, when MTV was uh, rolling, there even Peter Tork hosted. He hosted a uh, hour or so when um, he was able to uh, uh, had that time when they had in the in between all the concerts they were able to he was able to co host a uh, show. So here are some of the eighties groups that they uh, influenced back in the day. How about Run DMC? They did a cover of Mary Mary, and uh, you remember Mary Mary
1: was written by Mike, by the way.
0: Yes, and uh, the Sex Pistols, the punk group, the Sex Pistols. Covered I'm Not Your Stepping Stone, which is a, another great song by the Monkees. So they definitely had influence in the 80s.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and continue to. There is a, there is a song, and I honestly don't, don't know what the song is. But I continually hear, I think it's a rap song. And I know it sounds terrible because it makes me sound old, not knowing this song. But you will hear there is a song where you'll hear someone saying "Mr. Dobelina, Mr. Bob Dobelina. That comes straight out of a monkey's album. That's on Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones, mm-hmm. and it's a song called "Zilch," which is just basically um, speaking. And one of the bits is "Mr. Dobelina, Mr. Bob Dobelina, and that was taken from what they were hearing in an airport. So you will still hear. Bits and pieces of the monkeys here and there; their influences in different places, uh, and people just don't sadly know where that comes from anymore. But fans hear it everywhere.
0: Yeah, you know how much a ticket cost back in the nineteen eighty six. A ticket in July of eighty six for a monkeys concert. It was at the Flagler Track. And it was thirteen dollars and fifty cents. So tickets are like way <laughs> expensive. But I love looking at prices of ticket stubs. I have. I'm sure you have ticket stubs. I have. Ticket I don't stubs. want to tell you
1: what I just paid. <laughs> to <laughs> see Mickey next year. Uh, we'll
0: we we'll say that when you come to the states, you'll have to come back and talk about that while you're here in the states. That way we will have to be sixteen hours apart. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so absolutely. W- so in 1986. Uh, you said Michael was not uh, part of it because he was busy, but the, I guess the misnomer was that he was trying, you said, trying to be stuck up, but he wasn't. Um, here is a uh, a fact from in June of 22nd of 1986. Michael attended a concert in disguise. Is the only time he a, did. Mon- a monkey attended a monkey's concert and met the guys backstage to plan for a full reunion. Check this out. And when- you know
1: who's responsible for that?
0: Uh Please inform me. I'm not sure who is it.
1: Winona Ryder.
0: And, oh, and-
1: Winona Ryder was a Monkees fan, and she was working with Mike on one of his films. I believe it was Heather's. He was working on with her, and uh, because Mike was a producer, and she said, "I'm going to see the Monkees. Can you get me backstage? Can you can you can you can you come with me?" And he said, "Yeah, sure." He said he watched and he saw how much fun the guys were having. And he realized that he was, you know, he wished he had more time to be involved. And at some stage he was. Um, and and he did have some reluctance. There, were, there was time where he didn't want to talk about the monkeys. Uh, and they all had periods where they didn't want to talk about the monkeys. Got it, yeah, uh, but yeah. But Mike, Mike was quiet about it. And so he got seen as, you know, stuck up and too good for when it was really just he didn't have time. He
0: just didn't have time. I don't, You know, you know, when you, and I've said this before, you know, I don't know how performers or athletes perform. Their, their mind is on a different level, um, how they keep it going and do they get downtime and all that. So I can see where they just got, you know, they needed time away. I don't blame them. Um, you know, it's pretty interesting when you look back at the times of, uh, all these stars and, uh, you know, you, they can't go anywhere sometime without people hounding them. So, um, I, I find that uh refreshing in some respect you no
1: know, the thing is it's it's also a matter of they needed to they'd been so reviled during the course of their time as monkeys that it was something that they had to decompress from and once they found that they could embrace that part of their career Mm -hmm. without people constantly pointing fingers and saying, you're not worthy. And you didn't do this. And, you know, people in the industry got it. It's the externals for the most part that didn't get it. I mean, the Beatles loved the monkeys. They got it. They understood it. They were the Marx brothers. It was John Lennon who actually compared the monkeys to the Marx brothers originally. McCartney and, and Dolan's get along. Nesmith was always hanging around with them. They went to the Sergeant Pepper recordings, um, you know, so they, they got it. They got it. But the they needed to draw away from that because there was so much vitriol toward them for simply doing their job well and being successful, that they needed to pull away from it. And they went on and did other things. And then eventually they found they could embrace their joint history and continued to work together through the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands, twenty tens. You know, they continued to work together and separately and they knew that realistically they were always going to be of the monkeys, was always going to be part of their epitaph.
0: Yeah, and you had mentioned that they were uh, friends of the Beatles and then they had uh, they had met it at a few times Anytime you meet with the Beatles, you're an A-lister. And uh, I think that mm. you're an A-lister no matter what. And, um, you know, one thing you said about the vitriol towards them, I was looking online the other night on YouTube, and I saw a concert from Portland, Maine during the 86 tour. And the opening song, they came out and the place went crazy. And um, they, start, they started singing Last Train to Clarksville. So what happened was during mm-hmm. the concert um, – It it sounded like uh, the 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 record was skipping, like they weren't singing. So they're all all, like looking at each other, "What's going on? What's going on?" And they actually went back, and everybody's like they were laughing on stage, and they actually performed the song. It was pretty funny. I think they threw a little shade over at the folks who uh, who they
1: did it on purpose. Yeah, they did it on purpose. That's good. It started out with the. It actually was the theme song, and the theme song started out. And it would skip and skip and skip. And then they threw some, you know, giant <laughs> dynamite or something at it. And the whole yes! thing exploded. And then they went into last train. And and that was, that was the thing is they came out to tell us that it was okay to have a good time. To show us that it was okay to just enjoy ourselves. And Mickey says constantly um, that he would never think of doing a show now, even on his own that doesn't include the hits. The, some of the tours, they did some really deep cuts for the for the long-term, deep fans. You know, we would sit here and sing deep cuts from Head and deep cuts from Changes and, mm-hmm. you know, some of these other albums that, you know, you'd have to be a really hardcore fan to appreciate some of the music that they played. But they finished with I'm a Believer and Pleasant Valley Someday and they always made sure that they included you know, Last Train to Clarksville, but they also played Circle Sky and Do I Have to Do This All Over Again and, you know, all these these deeper cuts as well as all the hits. And it was okay for us to just sit back and enjoy that. The 87 tour, I think it was, had a set that was so complex that it was like a separate person on the stage. And you had to just look at every little thing on the stage to see all the different things that were there that they were playing with. And they came out and wore costumes and, um, you know, a Weird Owl opened for them in, on one of their tours. And that was a little crazy. Um, and And it was just, it was okay to have fun. And the monkeys, I think, reminded us in a time that was a little bit difficult that it was okay to have fun. And that's continued up to now. It's okay to just sit down and enjoy a concert and enjoy the music and not worry about what political statement it's making or, you know, whether it's politically correct or whatever. It's just music and joy. And that was
0: it. Yeah. And I'm looking at a, a couple of reviews here from the 86 tour. So USA Today had a review, and it says, Critics of the band wouldn't believe it, and they certainly wouldn't have been there to witness it themselves, but the Monkees are a legitimate rock and roll band. They're also entertaining something that can't be said for about some of their 80s counterparts. The Monkees are a hard act to follow. So that was from the July 26, '86 concert at Jones Beach Amphitheater. And here's one more from the LA Times in September 4th. 1986, they had a concert. Unlike many revived '60s acts that robotically churn out old hits, the Three Monkeys, uh, Michael Nesmith not included, exhibited genuine affection and care toward their music and unpretentious attitude in their performance. And playing to a crowd of more than 11,000 screaming fans that spanned two generations, undoubtedly boosted the exuberance level of the band members. So uh, you pretty much said that, but. I think that is probably one of the best rock reviews I've ever, ever read. Exhibited genuine affection. And here's the other one, playing, uh, being able to bridge two gaps, the 60s and the 80s. And uh, I will always say they had that it factor when performing. They just, bands can go out there and play, but there are bands that can certainly go out there, play, but connect with fans. And uh, the Monkees are one of them.
1: Hmm. Well, they knew what we expected, and I think one of the things that they they did, particularly Davy Jones was particularly good at this, and I'll always give him credit for this is that he understood that they were a show Mickey Mickey and Peter and, and Mike did as well, but they, they absorbed the idea that we were both they they were both television, they were both visual and they were audio, and we expected to see. The characters of Mickey, Peter, and Davey in 86, particularly. We expected to see the, the craziness of the TV show along with the music. And so they gave us that. There was scripted stuff. I mean, I saw three shows on that tour and I mm. heard the same jokes at three, at three <laughs> shows. But you know what? I didn't care. Uh, it was, it was joyful to just see that banter and you could hear that they were having a good time. And there were always rumors during almost every tour and one or two tours actually ended a little early uh, because they had interpersonal issues. But when they were on stage, there was no nothing that was more important than working together and giving the audience a show that they expected, paid for, wanted, and loved. And so whether they were going to kill each other when they walked off the stage, when they came on that stage, they were one unit strong and focused on giving us the music that we loved and the com- camaraderie that we really longed for. And it never failed. Never, not once in all the times mm. I've seen them did that ever fail.
0: That is extraordinary. Can we go back to the sixties a little bit? Cause uh, you and I have been messaging back and forth. I
1: wouldn't mind.
0: <laughs> uh, so, This is one that I did not know, and I had to like give you a wow, aha moment. Um, uh, the other day when I was messaging you, uh, Jimi Hendrix warmed up for the Beatles in the 60s for let's see, seven shows, it looks like, and for the monkeys, uh, for the he opened up for the monkeys. So that is pretty interesting when you think, um, Jimi Hendrix and the Monkees playing in the same venue the same night, and he warms up for the Monkees. What was that all about?
1: Well, Mickey was out and about, and, um, you know, the Monkees were very in with other crowds. You know, the Mamas and the Papas, like Mama Cass and, and Stephen Stills, and, you know, they they hung around with other musicians. Because they were musicians and they were less reviled by the people in their industry than by, as I said, by people outside mm. the industry. Um, and Mickey discovered this guy who played guitar with his teeth and isn't that cool and he should come out on <laughs> tour with it. And so he said to Jimi Hendrix, you know, you have to come. And he went back and he said to the guys, you have to hear this guy. He's fantastic. And they said, yeah, all right, let's give him a go. And, you know, he said, but he quit because <laughs> I just remember Mickey saying, you know, he, he, they were playing for a, a teen and pre-teen audience. And Jimi Hendrix was just well past that, um, you know, past that group.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and he'd go, you know, dying. And you get <laughs> and I said, you know, he couldn't take it. So after a while, he just he just quit. He just quit.
0: Oh man, that is that is great. I, you know, those are like little inside baseball things that um, I, I I love it. I mean, I I mean, it just goes to show you. And uh, I was looking at another uh, thing about the monkeys back in when they were touring in Britain. So. um Check this out. This is from the Monkeys archives page. Before leaving London, a party organized by Beatles manager Brian Epstein was held in honor mm-hmm. of the Monkeys. In attendance yep. were such music luminaries: Paul McCartney, John Lennon, George sure. Harrison, The Who, and Eric Clapton. That yep. that that goes to show you they weren't uh cookie-cutter musicians. These guys were oh, no. legit. No, swear
1: Mickey. Making- Met his first wife.
0: <laughs> wow. Uh,
1: and uh, and wrote a song, wrote him one of his very first songs based on that parté, uh, Randy Scouse Git, which in England he wasn't allowed to say because Randy Scouse Git meant um, horny, liver puddly, and bastard, pardon mm. all of my French. Um, and it wasn't allowed to be used on radio which is what he was going to call the song. And he said, but I I saw it on television. They said, no, you can't use that. You'll need to come up with an alternate title. (laughs) So that song in the U.S. is known as Randy Stauskett, and in the U.K. is known as alternate title. But it came from the song is about that party. He actually references the Beatles being there and references his first wife in there and, it's uh, and it's on their headquarters album, which is being celebrated again early next year.
0: Yeah, uh, that that is incredible when you think about like back in the '60s. I mean, uh, I mean, it's unbelievable. Paul McCartney's in his 80s. I mean, they were all in their 20s, mm-hmm. and it just goes to show you that uh, these artists and groups are not going to, you know. Hang with uh, a group that's not music musically viable. So I find that pretty neat. When uh, when you know when you hear like backstories, like I think you uh, we discussed in the last episode that um, Mickey knew Alice Cooper. They were in the Hollywood Vampires. Can you elaborate on that as well? I find that pretty neat as well.
1: Yeah, well, they went to school together. Um, Vince, his real name of course is, is Vincent. So Vince uh, and Mickey went to school together, Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood High um, or Grant High. I can't remember what the name of the school is, but they went to school together and they lived near each other. And he used to come over and babysit Mickey's kids. And, <laughs> you know, it just, um, wow. and then of course, it was the Hollywood vampires, which is, is so it's such a different group than the vampires that you saw later with, you know, uh, River Phoenix and Johnny Depp and whatnot. This one had John Lennon, Mickey Dolan um, and, and Murray, um, and, uh, and, uh, Alice Cooper and, Mm. and that kind of, of gang. I mean, these were heavy duty, heavy duty people. And because the monkeys were just individual musicians and actors, um, as opposed to this, you know, fake, reviled, whatever. They were in business and they were doing their job and people in the business pretty much got that.
0: Yeah. Um, it's pretty interesting, you know, when you see uh, artists that grow up like Van Halen, uh, you know, they mm. they got together, you know, when they were in high school and, and they they worked around, you know, the Pasadena area. So I find that, you know, like when you see how these groups inform um, it's pretty interesting. Like, uh, you said, was it was 400 people tried out for the job. And I saw something the other night that it just so happened, Davy and Mickey were on the same auditioning set. And that's how, I, I guess the connection between them, uh, really mm-hmm. was, uh, really was the thing that put them together. And, uh, Davy was very grateful for that, that he was able to hook up with Mickey during that audition. If they didn't hook up, they made they made a bit of different, uh, four guys for the monkeys.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely. Hey, something interesting about the Hollywood vampires. though So it, it was actually started by Alice Cooper. And in reality, it was a drinking club when it had a president and vice president and a treasurer and whatnot. And uh, the, the president was Alice Cooper. Vice president was Keith Moon.
0: Keith Moon. Wow. The drummer for the who? Yeah. Wow.
1: And, and and you had to to get into the club, you had to outdrink everyone else in the club.
0: <laughs> out drink.
1: <laughs> out drink everyone else in the club. You know, every now and then, you know, um um, you know, it was it was the crowd. It was Keith Moon, Ringo Starr, Mickey, Harry Nilsson, who was a good friend of, of Mickey. Um, you know Man. every night the same people. Every now and then and John Lennon would come in, or Keith Emerson would come in, and they'd be like honorary members for the evening. You know, um, um, you know, Mark uh, Mark Bolan from you know T Rex. Mm-hmm. Uh, just there were so many. Um, it, it was it was it was a social club. Oh, not- this, and Bernie uh, is it Bernie Topin? Is it Topin? Is that how you say it? The yeah. fellow who works with Elton John. Yes, he was also part of the club. Wow, uh, Iggy, Iggy Pop, Brian Wilson—they weren't necessarily in the club, but they kind of joined in every now and then. I mean, these were heavy duty. Yeah, these are heavy duty people, uh, and it was all about drinking. You know, it yeah, was all about drinking.
0: John Lennon, you're going to be an honorary member. Come on in tonight. Come on in. No worries.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, who was going to say to him, "No, you can't yeah. come"?
0: Who's going to you say, know? "Yeah"? Who's going to say no to John Lennon? Uh, Exactly. Probably one of the, if I had to say one of the best lead men of all time of any band. I would say he was the lead man of the Beatles, but uh, he was, uh, John Lennon is, is, is an icon and we could do three episodes on John Lennon. So, um, but yeah. yeah, and real quick before we, uh, we end up here, what do you think about though? If you thought, if you had to think after years when there were, you know, Uh, still living did you ever think maybe like the monkeys were able to uh individually look back and just like maybe appreciate what uh what what happened with them and the success they had if they had a moment to think back what would you think about that
1: yeah i think i think they each actually did at some point i know certainly mike did probably um very close to the end for mike um but he came to really appreciate the monkeys Fan and their fans, and the group's legacy, and what that meant to his legacy, and how mm-hmm. he would, you know, I think each of them has really kind of understood how very loved they are um, as a group in, and individually because of what they mean to people's history, because of what they, you know, mean to people in terms of their music and their outlook in their lives um and they and and they've said that and i think that's why um they give so much to every show they did and mickey continues to do um they make time for their fans because they understand how blessed and special things were even though things were difficult for them they had a hell of a ride um and it carried them through some very difficult times and gave them some very difficult times, but it carried them through some very difficult times to have fans and people that love them um, and support them in anything they do. And I think they have turned around and really realized that, that, and and they have given that all back to us. The love that the fans have given to them, they have returned tenfold.
0: Hmm. And uh, when you go to that show next year, you'll be an hour ahead versus 16 hours ahead uh, we'll have to connect after the show and just uh, we'll talk about the, the show and uh, the monkeys and those uh, other facets of the monkeys. We'll have to do another episode. I'm going to have you on for another episode, probably after the new year with uh, actor Bob Crane, you and, uh, and who was the author that you wrote the book with? It took what, 12 years to write?
1: Carol mm-hmm. Carol Ford um, and D Young and I spent the better part of 12 plus years um, working on that book. Yeah, and, and uh, we, continued to, we continued to do work on that book and do interviews um, about it and uh, uh, about that period. And um, some of the, it's interesting because there was actually some crossover with the Monkeys because some of the people we spoke to um, had actually appeared on the Monkeys as guest stars <laughs> the same as they had on Hogan's Heroes or worked with Bob Crane in other ways. And um, um. so I just kind of sat there and enjoyed the whole thing oh my gosh well
0: Uh, i'm I'm reading it um and uh i'm i'm writing down notes because i want to be informed when i talk to you but uh linda uh thank you again for joining me again for uh this episode on the monkeys i'm sure we'll have a few more hopefully uh as time permits but uh thank you you so much yeah we'll uh we'll do that head. we'll talk about that because that's with jack nicholson right
1: yeah he wrote it
0: Oh my God. I can't wait to do that one. I'm going to start doing research today on that one. But, uh, Linda, thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure. And, um, I really appreciate your time.
1: No worries. You know, I love you. Talk to you anytime.
0: All right. Love you too. And, uh, thanks so much.